0: Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. I'm your host, Carly, and I'll be your guide on this journey from consciousness to cluelessness and back around again. Today on the podcast, I talk to Damien Mander. Australian born and Zimbabwean based Damien is an Iraq war veteran who served as a naval clearance diver and special operations sniper for the Australian Defense Force. In 2009, while traveling through Africa, he was inspired by the work of rangers and the plight of wildlife. Liquidating his life savings, the International Anti-Poaching Foundation was established to be the last line of defense for nature. If that isn't amazing enough, that's just the tip of the iceberg. He has done so much. I'm so excited for you to hear. Here we go. Thank you for joining me. I'm so excited that we got to connect. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, sweet. Thanks for having me, Carly. Cheers.
0: Yeah, of course. So the podcast is called Consciously Clueless, and that came from this place of me realizing, like, sometimes you're with it and you get it, and you think you've got it figured out, and other days you're like, I have no fucking clue what's going on. (laughs) I have no idea. I'm clueless, and everything in between. So I like starting asking guests, kind of like, where are you at in this moment? You feeling conscious? You feeling clueless? You feeling somewhere in between? How are you feeling?
1: I'm feeling good, hey. It's been, uh, you know, I'm 12 years into a conservation career. I'm 41 years old. Uh, I've had some immense challenges uh, in life. It's probably a handful of times I probably shouldn't be here anymore. So this is all extra time and making the most of it. Uh, But, uh, you know, just in terms, I mean, I I see myself being involved with conservation for the rest of my life. So this Mm -hmm. is me now. And I've, I've been through... Uh, yeah, know some really turbulent and tough times and now I'm really having fun with it so I'm enjoying it just come back from two months in America uh, speaking with some of our investors new investors donors uh, other people involved with the movement uh, it's been it's been very um, productive in that respect so we're just here in the middle of a massive scale up as an organization and yeah, it's, it's, I mean, there's challenges every day. Each challenge is a blessing. Uh, we come out of it stronger. So mm-hmm. I'm good. I'm still clueless in a lot of areas, mate. Uh, <laughs> but uh, fig- figuring out the clueless parts is, um, it's all part of the fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And turning it into fun is a real mind shift too, seeing those things yeah. as uh, enjoyable. So I first, like many, I'm sure. Um, heard your story in the Game Changers and was completely blown away. So, for those who haven't watched it, which, if they haven't and they're listening, go watch Game Changers. But if they haven't yet, can you kind of walk us through your journey into conservation a little bit?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so, I mean, my background I mean, I grew up in Australia, uh, joined the, the Navy, uh, and became a clearance diver. Uh, so for those people in America, like the clearance diver, in the Australian Navy is like our version of the SEALs when you're encompassing mm. the different roles that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, went across to an Army Special Operations Unit after September 11, a new unit that was formed, uh, served as a Special Ops sniper, uh, did a bunch of years in Iraq, um, finished up there, just I suppose a little disillusioned with what next uh, and ended up in South America bunch of drugs and alcohol just trying to figure out the what next and just mm-hmm. uh you know the purpose and mission was over the the network of friends and colleagues was no longer side by side mm-hmm. and i was sort of yeah i'm just trying to figure it figure it all out uh and at the same time just yeah just drowning it out um uh, in a way that i suppose a lot of people who are coming out of that sort of background do i was you know one of the lucky ones hitting rock bottom i i uh managed to get my shit together and, <laughs> and uh, get myself to Africa for, you know, what, what became the, the beginning of the next chapter. But, uh, you know, speaking to, you know, an American audience over there, where you know, more than 20 US veterans a day commit suicide, uh, having been in a, in, you know, it's, it's, you don't have too many months go past that there isn't someone from our network that, that, that we have worked with or been involved with or know that, um, has taken their own life. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was lucky. I found, I found, uh, found purpose again yeah. uh, in conservation and in animals. And, um, you know, and I do, I do, you know, when I say lucky, I'm, I'm dead serious about that. I am, I am one of the lucky ones.
0: So when you say so you were in South America, what got you from South America to Africa where, like, what was that transition
1: I was like 11 months into South America and just, I mean, we were just blowing copious amounts of drugs. Um, mm-hmm. just, you know, at the time, at the beginning, it was like this, you know, I'd done well financially through residential property investment. I'd done well from a career standpoint. I'd survived three years in Iraq. Um, mm-hmm. So it was... It was, uh, you know, and I, was, I wasn't even 30, you know, it's you know, worth like seven figures on paper with a property portfolio. Wow. So I was like, I'm like, I've done.
0: I did uh, it. Know, I it. I nailed it. I did great.
1: Yeah. I was, I was like, fuck, okay, what do you do? You go and take yeah. a break, go and go and, uh, go and party. And that, that party just turned into uh like just a year long downward spiral, uh, which I sort of didn't realize I was, I was caught up in you know, at the time until it was like, shit, you know, where am I? What am I doing? Wasn't using my brain. Wasn't thinking in that purpose. And um, you know, I'd heard about this, uh, Yeah, this what sounded like the next cool thing for, for me to do, uh, which was anti-poaching in Africa and just, yeah, I hooked up and got, got, a, got a, a one-way flight there. Didn't even have a check-in bag when I went to the airport. Just oh my God. Carry on luggage and that was it in your life. So you
0: show up to Africa and you start kind of on this anti-poaching journey. What about anti-poaching was intriguing to you? Was it the animals at the time or was it just the next thing?
1: No, it was was nothing to do with animals. Uh, It was to do about adventure and, Mm and then, you know, trying to get a foot in the door with this, you know, what seemed like this cool job. I just thought I'd turn up and, you know, I've got all these skills and people will just be like opening the door. And then you realize, hang on a second. These are people that uh, have been working at this for decades, and have committed their own lives to this, have built up organisations and reputations. Mm-hmm. They don't want some vigilante dude running around with a gun trying to hunt poachers. <laughs> yeah, and, then I, and then, like at the same time, that the penny's starting to drop on just what it was rangers did and how much they sacrificed. Uh, i just come from working in Iraq and we're fighting the arguments of old men for fucking resources in the ground. Mm-hmm. And like it literally, in hindsight, it was you know we were just we were just, uh, tools in, in um in a much bigger game that we didn't even understand at the time uh, mm-hmm. tools to be exploited. Uh, and then um, you know, but then seeing rangers like really inspired me. Uh, you know, they they made me want to do something more constructive other than look for my next personal adventure. Uh, and in a way, it made me reflect on who I was as a mm-hmm. person. I've got to be honest, wasn't really happy with like my value system at the time. And, uh, and then alongside what was going on here, self-reflection who I was, what I was doing was, was seeing animals. And it's sort of, uh, you know, Iraq had given, um, Iraq had given me probably a different length, a lens through which to see the world and maybe comprehend things and, and, uh, and all of this sort of just started falling into place. You know, I'm I'm not happy with who I am. I'm inspired by this other group of people, and I'm seeing something that's that's making me angry and making me want to do something with the, the two things I had, uh, like the set of skills and this money. Right, uh, and that was, that was animals. Seeing what was happening to animals, and it was it was more elephants and rhinos. I fell into conservation at a time when, you know, a, a, you know, a good guy with a gun could go out and be that last line of defence, and uh and uh, you know, I was like uh, coming from a military background. You're a hammer, and everything's a nail. <laughs> uh, so, so you own. were literally uh, out
0: there with a gun, trying to make sure people didn't shoot elephants and rhinos.
1: Yeah, I was. Uh, you know, not just me, but training teams of right. local local rangers how to do that. And I thought that was the big answer. You know, and uh, you know, to to a large extent, it works. You know, you stop stop poachers from coming in. Um, uh, and you know that's how a lot of organizations focus the operations it's 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 looking very much from the inside of a reserve out it's like this is our reserve these mm-hmm. are the animals that live here and we're going to go out and protect them and then you know over over years and you know a bunch of mistakes and also having the 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 luxury of being able to reflect on the mistakes we've made in the military mm-hmm. the mistakes we we'd made in iraq i was able to sort of start to piece together uh what i've now seen to be a much better way forward and it's gone from looking from the inside out into the communities to being in the communities and looking at this from a social angle and dealing with with it with the environmental issues that we face from a social side um, in order to have an environmental or a conservation outcome
0: so that switch from inside to looking at like communities and and how to make that is that where starting your own organization came from
1: yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that was um, October 2009. Uh, just, you know, there was a bunch of incidents that were happening. Um, you know, a couple in particular, seeing an elephant with its face cut off. This, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, that's confronting. And I, you know, I used to be a hunter.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: and a hunter and a, and a person that hunt, not as what someone described as, you know, maybe a more noble form of hunting, trying to, you know, hunt, hunt your own meat or your own food. Um, but as someone that did it as a desperate, uh, as a teenager that was desperate for some form of primal respect from my peers, you know, so take aim at the vulnerable. And you know, so, so this is who I was. I was also a hunter. I,
0: can... <laughs> I understand.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I didn't know that. Hey.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Why did you? Why did you hunt?
0: Um. Yeah. Social. Social pressure and family life it was like a family thing to go out with my dad and the guys and um you know the the guys i was dating i'm from a small town northern minnesota we're like right next to canada we're in the woods that's what you do um you hunt and you fish and it made me feel like i was a part of the crew
1: yeah
0: it was it was uh yeah 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 yeah. so you were you were uh when did i stop yeah Um, I slowly was on this path of feeling weird about it. And I remember the last time I went deer hunting with my dad and I remember firing the gun. And I remember being like, I don't think this is right for me. I don't think I can do this anymore. This didn't feel fun this time. And then I told my dad I wasn't going to hunt anymore and he understood and then I told him I wasn't gonna fish anymore. That was a little harder. That's been like our relationship my whole life. Luckily I have a great dad who can adapt and will find other ways to spend time with me. but um, I felt like I was disappointing people by not hunting and not fishing It was yeah. odd. it's odd
1: yeah It's a really yeah. odd
0: experience
1: yeah yeah you know I mean I, I grew up fishing with my dad and my granddad and it was like this bonding experience hmm um you know but a you know, bonding experience shouldn't have a victim uh anyway yeah so I, you I saw never the hunted. so you saw yeah. the
0: face of the elephant
1: yeah yeah it was just, you know it's you know like something the size of a truck killed for something you cannot hold in one hand you know, wow. if someone wants to have a carving on their on their desk on the other side of the world and um, you know, that was sort of a catalyst for me, you know, with a bunch of other stuff. But that was like a final, you know, tipping point um, to start selling up houses in Australia and um, mm. start, up, start up the IPF uh, back in, um, uh, yeah, 2009. So started just, yeah, myself, um, grew the organisation. We're very species-focused, you know, animals that were being targeted by the most aggressive t- tactics, elephant, rhino, sort of fitted in very well with me and the sort of crew that we built. Uh, and then, you know, we started, uh, getting, you know, bigger and bigger projects, more areas of responsibility, greater threat levels and, you know, scale again as an organization. And then, um, it was just like, you know, what we're doing is, I mean, it's working, but it's not, it's not the long-term solution. Mm. Uh, we're looking, you know, there's going to be 2 billion people in Africa by, t- by 2040. So we had to find a way to build relationships into the local community and make them want to conserve these areas rather than a bunch of, of, of tattooed dudes with guns going out there and patrolling fence lines telling, telling a local community to keep out. You know, these, are, these are people that have looked after these areas for tens of thousands of years. Yeah. Then it's a Western hunter that's come in and, and, and shot these animals to shit over the last century and then gone, oh, hang on a second. These things are going extinct. We need to stick some fences up, kick the locals out who have been here for 10,000 years and um, call it a park. And, and, and uh, But we can still have a white dude come in from the other side of the world and pay some money to shoot an animal. But if some, some local dude comes in, um, we're going to call that poaching and, um, and we're going to throw him in jail for it. So there's a bunch of things. It's yeah, like, that like yeah, white you know savior
0: complex of like, I know what's best for your community.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, and I still get that, you know, I still get this white savior, you know, I'm a white foreigner in Africa, um, but you know what, like we've, we've made a bunch of mistakes and yes, I'm white and yes, I'm foreign. And yes, I'm here. Yeah, in of course working with local indigenous communities, but what we're doing is working and it just so happens that I was part of a team that helped build it. So yeah, people just need to get their heads around that.
0: So IPF for those listening international poaching foundation.
1: Anti-poaching. You know,
0: anti-poaching we, we, foundation. We,
1: yeah, yeah. That's
0: an important but, uh, word in there, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, we're actually doing rebranding, you know, because anti-poaching is just uh, it's a very s- small part of what we do now um, in terms of our conservation model. Uh, you know, and I, I, I can explain more in depth about, uh, you know, how we, you know, our, our main program and what we run is, is called Akashinga, uh, and that is um, empowering uh, Indigenous communities uh, to protect large-scale wilderness areas of significant ecological value um, with women's empowerment as the, the key component of that strategy. Uh, and so, that was yeah, the documentary so, so that recently
0: came out, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. So that it came out last year. Again, that was sort of very heavily focused as, as a short-form documentary on you know, picking out one component of the program, and that was predominantly the law enforcement component. Um, but, you know, I mean, our, our model is focused around um, community empowerment um, generally, uh, through gender equality, job creation, um, health care, education, uh, water sanitation, uh, infrastructure development, and then uh, uh, biodiversity uh, conservation. So there's a whole bunch of things that are going in and making this, uh, this model work.
0: So it started as anti-poaching and now it's just so much more.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. And it's, uh, you know, we, we're not dealing with species anymore. We're dealing with biodiversity. We're not dealing with parks anymore. We're de- dealing with wide open landscapes uh, that are made up of multiple parks. Uh, and so, uh, and then of course, you know, there's the, you know, it's a very, um, as I've mentioned, socially driven um, program. We're still a conservation organization. we not, we're not even a, a women's empowerment organization as such. Uh, it's not carved into our, our constitution, but we just found a better way to do business right. women 's empowerment at the center of the strategy. Uh, let them use that that opportunity to drive their own futures. That gives us the greatest traction in community development. conservation becomes the byproduct
0: Those social aspects sound like they 've been such a game changer for the the results of your organization
1: Yeah, they have. Uh, I mean, not just um, not just from a conservation standpoint, but just in terms of you know us in terms of growth uh, financially as an organisation, where we go. Mm. I mean, we've grown. I mean, to the power of eleven in the last twenty-four months. Um, wow. So yeah, so we we're starting to become you know one of the bigger players um, in the region on the continent in um, in conservation, uh, and it's because we've got a big vision and we've got an idea that 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 is changing not only conservation but can change the world. You know, We now know after four years of running this program that putting women into the forefront of law enforcement changes the dynamics of society for the better. You, know, you overlay that knowledge uh, you know, as a filter across the United States at the moment and what's been happening there uh, in regards to, to this antagonistic law enforcement approach, not overall, but in mm-hmm. enough cases to drive a negative narrative towards what is supposed to be society's guardians. You start to, I mean, you can't go into Chicago and say, well, we're going to get rid of all the male police officers, replace them with women and see what happens. Yeah. Now, in conservation, we had the opportunity to do that because there's so many conservation areas that are sitting vacant uh, that need work, oh, that need protection, wow. that don't have any infrastructure. So we had this very unique opportunity to be able to go in and build this force from scratch and to be able to measure um, all the outcomes. And, uh, you know, so, we, I mean, we have zero corruption with the women in one of the most corrupt countries in the world. Uh, I mean that it, for us just changes so much particularly on the, the economic side and it, it allows us to continue employing women from the local community instead of bringing them in from miles away um, that, uh, that then makes all the salaries that the women are getting uh, direct community investment right uh, okay so so and then on top of that we've women naturally de-escalate tension. De-escalation in law enforcement means demilitarization. So we don't have helicopters and canine attack teams and airplanes and and, and uh, big fences and more guns. We have something far more powerful than biceps and bullets. We have interpersonal relationships that are driven by the women uh, in the communities that they were raised with, raised in um, the communities they're raising their own family in. And, and, and that is, you know, when you're trying to have a relationship with communities that have tens of thousands of people and outnumber you. Um, dramatically um, interpersonal relationships at household level in these communities. There's nothing more valuable than that. Uh, that the interesting thing about that, it, we cut our core operating costs by two-thirds <laughs> because we're not spending all this money on military-grade hardware. So the remaining two-thirds, well, the first third is invested into women, the most effective form of community development funding. There's an overwhelming body of evidence that tells us that. Um, the other two thirds we invest into, into social development, health care, um, you know, building out clinics, stocking them with drugs I and mean, clinics, places we arrive to that women are delivering babies by candlelight with no drugs. When we get there. And if something goes wrong, there's no ruby slippers that's going to take you to you know, wow. some place far, far away to get help. Uh, getting registered nurses um, into these clinics, dealing with special cases, you know, like a young kid, Sean, seven years old, never walked, um, been dragging himself through the dirt since he was a kid. Uh, you know, you go and spend 600 bucks on a wheelchair for a kid like that and it changes his life, things yeah. like that. You know, it seems like uh, seems like such a small amount for someone like you or me, but it, it's a, it changes someone's world and, then it's, you know, the people around them. Um, it changes as a community uh, and you get started getting a positive a positive perception of the um of the outcomes of conservation as opposed to this like us and them let's say you know here's this conservation armed force it's out there trying to stop us from from going out and poaching it's like okay this conservation force is part of a much bigger picture uh, and that bigger picture is benefiting us overall as a community and we want to be a part of that and so women became the bridge that conservation communities had to rebuild between each other. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, women are, are fantastic at collecting information plugged into the community at that, that grassroots level. Um, and it allows us to, to be able to put the limited resources we have in the most effective places in terms right. of law enforcement. So that, that in itself has played a large role across the region in driving a downturn in elephant poaching we've seen an 80% reduction in elephant poaching in an area that had lost 8,000 elephants in the 16 years prior to us starting this program.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. So the summary, well, there's a couple of summary points. One, women are fucking amazing. I'm just going to, that's a summary point. <laughs> and also is this, what I'm hearing is that you've created a model that you hope is then used in other places. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it is. And this is this is uh, like the scrutiny that we sort of have come under as an organisation that's doing what wasn't done before. I would say it's been immense, uh, you know, probably for the right reasons, but it does seem like there's a lot of people, you know, someone hiding under every second rock <laughs> because of the success we've had waiting for us to, to, to trip up or to fail. And, right. I mean, not only for the reason of uh, trying to be squeaky clean in what we do, um, but also in the fact of getting it right on the ground but we are trying to build a refine a best practice model that other organizations can use and replicate and it's not just as simple as uh, you know replacing you know putting men into into construction and labor roles and putting women into law enforcement roles you have to change your organizational culture um, and, and that starts from from the center going out and that's getting more you know equal or better numbers of women on the board, women in senior management positions. Mm -hmm. We had an independent gender mainstreaming audit done uh, to look at our policies and procedures, a code of conduct and ethics. Um, We had to make a lot of adjustments. Any uh, any particular inquiry that was made, we had a a specialist third-party HR agency that specialises in gender issues and gender mainstreaming um, to be able to advise us on this. Um, we've had like a a, a fourth party independent assessment of everything that we've done on the ground to be able to identify not only where we're getting things right, but more importantly, where we're getting things wrong or where we can improve. So all of this goes into the mix and it helps change the culture of the organization. It helps strengthen us um, and then allow us to be able to build out um, this, this model of, of, centralizing our strategy around women and, and people will go, well, yeah, that sounds like a hell of a lot of changes you had to make. I'll just tell you, yeah, it, it is. Right. But the changes for the better and, the, and the, the pros of having women in this role and the benefits that come from the community interaction far outweigh any administrative tasks that we've had to tick off to get here.
0: So, what is the geographic area your organization is covering in Africa?
1: So we, so we, we, this program in particular, um, Akashinga, is focused in Zimbabwe at the moment. Okay. And we started with, with, with one reserve, 90,000 acres, 16 women. We now have eight reserves, 1.3 million acres, uh, and a staff of 240. Um, oh, my we, goodness. The, the funding we've just raised, we are in the process of expanding that um, portfolio to over 6 million acres uh, in the next two years. So you're talking about significant areas of land and uh, wilderness home to billions of different individual sentient beings and creatures uh, surrounded by communities of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that are benefiting from the program and the work that we're doing. Uh, The other, the other program we run in uh, based out of Kenya uh, and now also in Zimbabwe is called lead ranger. And this is training indigenous leaders, um, from existing well-established organizations. Um, to date, we've trained over 50 uh, instructors uh, from other organizations across Southern and East Africa uh, that oversee a workforce uh, of uh, over 1,100 ranges wow. uh, protecting 14 million acres. So it's, um, it's about creating scale uh, and economy in scale. You know, how can we achieve a greater outcome across a wider area? Uh, maybe it's not always like a hundred percent perfect in each area, right? But I'd rather have something like eighty uh, percent close to perfect, and be able to cover twice as much area than just have this one shining, like perfect area in the middle of all this other struggling um, wilderness.
0: So you obviously, so it sounds like you see that expanding to as much acreage as you can, really.
1: Yeah, we. I mean, we want to uh, scale and uh, and operate within margins um, of our financial projections. You know, so okay. We don't want to overextend ourselves. Right. Uh, you know, but we. I mean, we do have a model that is changing the face of conservation. We do have something that. You know, I mean, if this is if this is what's happening in Zimbabwe and conservation and the success that we're seeing here with, with thrusting women into the forefront of law enforcement, what's possible beyond Zimbabwe or beyond conservation. And these are the exciting things. And I think this is why this last round of funding in the U S has been so successful is because it's, it's, it's beyond, uh, just a country or, or an idea or, or a region, um, or an industry. It's something that, uh, you know, it's lessons that, that, that may be relevant in the U.S. It's lessons that may be relevant around the world. Uh, and look, you know, while we, while we continue to figure it out and refine it, we're solving some of the greatest environmental challenges that we have.
0: Can you say a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, just, here we are. I mean, we're, we're stuck here. Uh, civilization on its knees because of a pandemic uh, that, that, is, that has brought us to a standstill. As a direct result of the way that we treat nature, you turn the news on that the world is on fire. It's heating up. It's flooding. It's burning. Uh, there's, uh, you know, and that that inspires me. There's never been a greater time in history to be involved with conservation uh, and wildlife protection. Uh, we're at a time of crisis, and we all need to be snapping our, our heels together and getting to work. And um, you know, for us to for us to be able to play a part. Of a much wider strategy as a global community in terms of uh, reaching the the Paris Climate Agreement goals. Uh, Our job is to protect nature, the greatest self-regulating system we have on this planet. It's a a system that's functioned or is refined over billions of years. Uh, So we can talk about emission reductions. It's it's as important, but protecting nature, it makes up around 30% of the goals that we have to achieve as a global community. Uh, in terms of being able to stop this place from cooking.
0: Literally, literally cooking. So switching gears yeah. a little bit, how did you become vegan? At what point did you go from hunting, fishing, military guy to uh, vegan running this organization?
1: Yeah, yeah, good question. <laughs> uh, like the, the, the hunting, you know, I never hunted after Iraq because after that I knew what it was mm. like to be hunted. Um, and then this integration of getting involved with animals uh, started with IPF. Um, I was still eating animals at the same time. Mm-hmm. but I was, um, yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was able to separate or partition the two. Yes. We need to look after wildlife. No, the other animals don't matter. And I was, uh, you know, I suppose. Um, just sort of, a, you know, obedient to my own conveniences. And, uh, yeah. And, and as humans, we're fantastic at creating these, these little excuses to suit oh, our own conveniences and, or picking the good parts of a bunch of bad situations and, and pulling that together to create your own narrative and, and you know, how you can justify to yourself that mm-hmm. something's okay when deep down you know that it's not. And that's, that's, um, yeah, that's, that's human nature. Right. And I was doing it to myself. You know, like chickens and cows aren't going extinct. Uh, you know, I'm doing all this good work over here and looking after wildlife. You know, I'm, I'm sort of entitled in a way to be able to do mm. what I want. Uh, you know, it's, this is the sort of levels of bullshit that, that you come up with. So, you know, so here I've been running IAPF for three years with a focus mainly on elephant, rhino, and, you know, maybe, you know, a few other things, but just not as sexy. Um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going through this, this deep uh, internal interrogation again. Okay, who am I? what am I about? And am I really walking, um, walking the talk? And that's, you know, going out, protecting one group of animals, coming home, eating another group of animals was, uh, was a hypocrite. Uh, mm. and ultimately, you know, it's two types of conservationists. There's, there's, there's vegans, and there's those that don't want to take their work home. And at the, at the time I was a nine to five conservationist, uh, Interesting. I didn't I didn't want to be that anymore. So I stopped, um, cut out meat overnight, um, so that was back in 2012. Um, a year later, I went, or less than a year later, I went, um, went vegan. And that's, uh, you know, we've carried that through now into our, our organization and our workplaces. Uh, the, uh, you know, all, all of our, all of our, the meals that we serve, we've got seven, seven vegan chefs, actually eight now, eight oh, vegan wow. chefs. Um, we've got over five acres of garden gardens um, we've got a team of women doing one of the toughest jobs in one of the most harshest uh, most remote locations um, on the planet they're doing it on a plant-based diet and they're thriving
0: so the people that work for you if they're eating the meals provided and everything are eating vegan yeah and yeah. i'm, and I'm, I'm imagining that. a lot of people probably have kind of transitioned to that lifestyle because of that influence yeah I'll-
1: so, so yeah, this is sort of one of the things that a lot of the media wants to know when they come out, they're like, oh, <laughs> you know, really, you know, what's going on here with the whole vegan side? I'm like, go and ask them yourself. Cause genuinely <laughs> like it's, it's, it's. I mean, we, we, we feed what we want at work and, and the whole, like a lot of right. organisations, you know, we're going to provide our own food. Right. Uh, and you know, if you don't like that, then you're entitled to, to bring your own or, you know totally not work with us. That's, that's completely fine. And, uh, you know, our, our, we, we feed extremely healthy food, um, in great volumes when we've got, you know, women that are work, walking up to 20 miles a day, sometimes longer, uh, carrying packs and loads and chasing poachers through the heat of the Zambezi Valley. You know, it can be 110 degrees there. So it's in our best interest to keep them healthy uh, and feed them good food backed up by, you know, with a proper nutritional plan. Um, What they do at home is completely up to them. Most of them, from what we understand, take this back into, into, you know, it's a permanent fixture in their their lifestyle. Um, We have a program called Back to Black Roots, and it's focusing on um, uh, uh, getting back to how Africa was largely raised, which was on a plant-based diet. And uh, so we teach the women um, how to grow their own food how to talk about it from a nutritional and ethical and an environmental standpoint.
0: Mm.
1: And we teach their families then we teach the communities uh, and then we build ambassadors. Uh, so yeah, it's, 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 um, in a country or on a continent where getting a- access to regular, uh, reliable or affordable healthcare is often, um, it's often a, you know, a fantasy for so many people being able to provide and teach people with the tools they need to prevent most of the diseases that they're going to face later in life is, is a, is a fantastic part of the program and something I'm proud of.
0: Absolutely. It sounds amazing. So how did you personally feel different when you went vegan? Like, did you, what did you notice? Were you surprised or were you like, Oh, this is just, this is good.
1: My shit smelt like grass clippings on, on us. <laughs> morning. Uh-huh. Uh,
0: <laughs> Of all the things I thought you were going to say, that wasn't one of them. So thank you for that. <laughs> uh,
1: I would say and I'm being, I'm, I'm, I'm mucking around there. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, in terms of everything I've been able to do uh, in life, it is the single most defining thing. And and the thing that I still will continue to repeat as, as being, um, yeah, it's been, it's been life changing. Just, uh, I mean, I was never really the, the one to focus too much from the diet and nutrition side. Mm-hmm. From a personal standpoint, it was always about animals and ethics. And I suppose from a conscious um, standpoint, the lens through which I see the world now and, and mm. deal with other people, um, the empathy that that has allowed me to have, uh, it's all changed. And that wasn't an intentional part of, of the decision I made. It's just something that, has happened and i don't even have to get out of bed in the morning and i'm already doing something that that is as as, as good as anything you can do for animals or uh, or for the planet uh and I, you don't always have to to move to a different continent and um and start an organization and go out there and risk your life protecting animals you know the easiest way to protect an animal is don't stick it in your mouth
0: that should that's gonna that should be the quote for this for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Easiest way to save an animal: Don't stick it in your mouth. So it yeah. should be on a bumper sticker somewhere or something.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it how seems um, simple, but uh, yeah, it's still a lot of people trying to figure it out.
0: That um, what's that term? Cognitive dissonance. That thing you were describing. That ability to to say, "Oh, this is different. I can do this because I do this," or yeah. whatever it is. We're really good at that.
1: Yeah, masters of bullshit
0: yes masters of bullshit we are masters of bullshit for sure yeah. grass clipping bullshit <laughs> <laughs> so how given the zillion things that you are doing with this organization as it grows and how do you take care of yourself what do you do for yourself to stay somewhat sane
1: uh you know i exercise uh most days um I, uh, you know, I've just finished like a brutal tour about 16 cities in, um, 10 weeks across the U S uh, which was, I mean, it's fine, you know, um, you know, if I'm not, that was for IPF, I also speak on the national geographic speakers bureau. So when you (laughs) combine one of our own tours with a national geographic tour, it can be, you know, sometimes four cities a week, uh, late, early starts, um, gave up alcohol a while back just you know because i want to be extremely focused on on you know what we're doing and uh and uh, you know just be able to be, be all in with this mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm 40 41 at the moment so still in reasonable shape and um you know plan to you know see life out doing this whether that's another 10 years or 50 years uh you know this is what i'll do to the day i die. So. Um, but yeah, it is. It is important to sort of sometimes gonna you know, force yourself to take a break. I mean, it's easy for me to work 16 hours a day because it, it ain't work. It's, um, it's something I'm passionate about. Right. It's my purpose. Uh, I believe in it. Uh, I, you know, we've got an amazing team, uh, and you know, which I sometimes, sorry guys, I know I drive you crazy. Um, <laughs> some of the expectations and that uh, with, with, you know, work, you know, or sometimes we expect everyone to have the same level of enthusiasm. The reality is, you know, we've got people out there right now Well, I'm sitting here in the luxury of my home, people out there risking their lives. So, I mean, you really you can't ask for, for more than that in whatever field or job you're doing. So we're just extremely grateful and lucky for the, the team we have, uh, the model that we've been able to refine towards the success we're having. Um, and all of that is is good enough medicine for me.
0: Well, that's pretty freaking beautiful. Um, I thought of a question circling back that I meant to ask earlier, but I was so enthralled with what you were saying. I forgot. Um, right now you were talking about Zimbabwe and you talked about Kenya. And um, are there other places, maybe this is a silly question. I don't know. Are there other places in the world outside of the continent of Africa that models like this could be useful for anti-poaching or for smuggling of different animals or anything like that? Or is that something you see in Africa?
1: So we, we just are replicating this in two more countries at the moment. Okay. Uh, Over the next 24 months, refine those Um, and those two countries. I won't go into too much detail because there's sort of some high level negotiations taking place. Sure. Um but uh, they, you know, they 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 share a border with Zimbabwe that will allow us to have a close enough reach so we can we can refine it, and then we'll look um, to go more equatorial rainforest uh, mm. uh, regions, and then uh, you know whether that's in Africa, Asia, mm-hmm. the Americas, uh, you know, this is, and um, it's it's not just about us and what's in our portfolio, but it's about also working with other organisations that want to replicate it. This right. isn't the only way to do conservation. Right. There's a bunch of people who've been doing successful conservation for, for a long time with completely different models, but this is something that we found uh, works, turns conservation funding into the most effective form of community development funding, cuts core operational costs and frees up a bunch of funding for, for social development, um, you know, and at the same time bridges the gap between conservation and community. So... It's, uh, you know, as well as, you know, driving the most powerful force in nature, a woman's instinct to protect. <laughs> you, know, you put that at the centre of, of, uh, of protecting nature. And that's, um, yeah, it's, you know, what, what can I say? It's just grateful for, for everything that's happening, really. It's, um, it's been a remarkable four years um, working with these women, seeing their own development women that are survivors of serious sexual assault, domestic violence, AIDS orphan, single mothers, abandoned wives. Um, Within 18 months, the majority have have bought their own land, built their own house, got their families back together, put themselves back through high school, Uh, some of them off to college. We've had women speaking around the world in front of up to 2,500 people. Uh, One of the women gave a lecture to Harvard Law School. um, Oh, my gosh. so yeah and you know from from the education they'll get with as part of this program uh where they've got the opportunity to, to to do any form of education they want they'll go on to to, to penetrate everything from from healthcare to education sectors uh, politics um uh, conservation uh, and you know always remembering the roots they came from and uh you know i think it's it's sort of a in a way, a sort of slow burn revolution in these mm-hmm. rural areas to up, uplift them from you know what is essentially um, you know, a very tough place to live uh, out there in the middle of nowhere.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's the ripple effects, the social ripple effects of the program are truly inspiring, and it's just really shows the what investment in community can do. Yeah, yeah, and so beautiful. Yeah. So I'm curious. How did you get involved in Game Changers? How did this documentary get you on board? Where did that come from?
1: Uh, So I got a phone call. uh, When was it? It was probably as far back as 2013 um, from Joseph Pace, uh, the producer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he was um, actually, no, 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 no. It was was James Wilkes actually that contacted me first. They said they'd watched the um, TEDx talk. Mm. Um, would I mind coming and, and doing an interview for this documentary they're putting together? I did the documentary and then um, you know, I didn't, didn't think any more of it. And then I yeah. um, got a phone call from Joseph probably a year or so later. They said, look, we've, you know, the documentary's taken like on a whole new life. And uh, Luis Sahoyos, who won the, the, the Oscar for The Cove, is now coming in to direct it. Uh, they come into some funding to be, able to, to be able to come and shoot at various locations around the world. As well as you know, some really key athletes that were, yeah. you know, building up the pedigree of this this documentary, and my the requests for me within the film was to try and tell the side of the animal ethics um, component um, from, a, I suppose, an alpha males standpoint. <laughs> uh, you know, because I mean, look, it's it's um, you know, it's a movie that's often you know. You know, it's full of alphas. And you know, I think that was the target audience there. Totally. Uh, you know, and you know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to shy away from it. I'm an, I'm an alpha male. Uh, and I think, you know, able to tell the story there to people that are just like me. Right. Um, because, uh, you know, as, 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 as that sort of that male, I think we should be role models um, in society. We should stand up for those that can't defend themselves. We should protect and animals sit at the, you know, right up the top of the list of those that are vulnerable in, in our communities and in our world. And, you know, you know, why would you want to, I mean, why would you want to exploit that vulnerability and even worse, pay someone else to do something that you really don't want to do yourself. And so that was the sort of message I wanted to get across um, in the movie. Um, you know, I was sort of very honored to be a part of it um, and, and be a, you know, work with not only the production team and the the, the director, but, just the, the individuals that were, were involved as well, uh, and then of course uh, the the premiere of that at Sundance Film Festival opened up the doors that would lead on to our own work with um with uh, with James Cameron uh, and National Geographic.
0: So that was the catalyst for those projects.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know we're looking at um you know what the long form version of uh, telling our story will be um, as well as 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 our story and and program uh, and results gain um gain more and more of an arc over time uh it's um yeah we, we we've got a lot to tell
0: <laughs> i am so glad that you were a part of that film because it did really bring this um lens of the animal rights piece that i think would have been totally missing from that um and i think that thread of your story within it did beautifully to to fill that gap
1: cool thank you very much
0: yeah of course
1: the producers for that
0: (laughs) well i mean i I think you you played a part there your story was important but yes it was good that they included that because it was another component and like you said it was still the reaching that kind of alpha male target audience but from this different perspective Yeah, and being able to talk about your military background and those things, I was enthralled the whole time, and I've seen it multiple times now. (laughs) Cool. So, is there anything that you want to share that I haven't given you space to talk about that you're like, oh my gosh, I want everyone to know this?
1: Uh, No, just uh, you know, people that want to um, you know look up more into into regards to what we do check out our website ipf.org or international anti-poaching foundation it doesn't have to be iapf. But just get involved with conservation and um uh, you know protecting the environment in terms of how we live our life on a daily basis important things in life are not things and all this material bullshit that we have mm-hmm. important things in life are relationships and actions and and uh and, you know, funnily enough, we can actually do more in this world by, by doing less. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't have to have all this shit and, and, you know, we can just scale things back a bit and, and lead, lead a much more um, saner life. Uh, but, yeah, you know, just looking at, at how we do live that life and, and not trying to take on the good credits as, as, as an opportunity to do something negative, Um, Mm. always trying to evolve. You know, we, you know, nature has had billions of years to evolve the cutting away of the bits that don't work and the retention of the bits that do with no predetermined path of, of where it's going. And, And we, as humans, we don't have billions of years. We've got a handful of decades to, to evolve as individuals. So, uh, and particularly those in our movement, um, Frustrated by having the conversations that need to be had and, and the, the feeling that those conversations are falling on deaf ears. Keep having your conversations, keep getting better at them because uh, uh, it may take someone uh, a decade to to absorb the truth. It may take them a day, but ultimately the truth is accumulative and um, your conversations are not falling on deaf ears. So keep having them.
0: Mm, that is so beautiful. If you don't mind, we're going to, for Patreon, um, subscribers for patrons. We'll do a quick kind of go through a bunch of questions. Say what's on the top of your head. This will be just a little short uh, thing for them, but otherwise I really appreciate you being here and chatting this morning. It's been amazing. Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. If you enjoyed that episode, hit subscribe wherever you're listening. If you want to help me get this into the ears of more listeners, send it to a friend, text it to a family member, share on social media, leave a review wherever you're listening. It all truly helps. If you want a little bit more from Damien and I's conversation, head over to patreon.com consciouslycarly for a rapid fire question round with Damien and tons more. You should really check it out. There are yoga videos, meditations, vegan tips every week. It's really great and I'd love to have you there. Until next time.